um, before I start this morning, because I think I'll forget once I get uh, cruising, I, uh, we're in a series called For King and Kingdom, and uh, I would like to be able to provide notes for some of the messages. Um, so I actually put together some notes from last week's message. They're available on yellow uh, paper out there afterwards, and then there are also some notes for, from today. Um, whether or not I will say what I said I was going to say or not, that's a different thing, but there are notes out there on purple. So you've got uh, some notes on, from last week and from this week. Okay. Let's pray. <clears throat> God, you're so good to us. You're so good to us. And Lord, we, we stand, we sit, we kneel. We are in awe of what you've done. And I ask, Lord, that you would send the Holy Spirit in power as we look to the scriptures, as we look to Jesus as we try to discern what it means to live a life worthy of the high calling of Christ Jesus, to live for king and kingdom. Lord, we need your grace, and we need the faith that you provide and the courage to walk out the life that you've called us to. So, Lord, do what only you can do here. Change us to be more like Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Okay. Last week, uh, we talked about uh, this idea that the, the message of Jesus, the central theme of Jesus in his ministry was the kingdom of God. That was it. It was the kingdom of God. It wasn't just salvation. It wasn't just heaven. It just wasn't love. It was the kingdom of God. It was the rule and the reign of Jesus everywhere. So when Jesus came and said the kingdom is here, he's saying the rule of Jesus is here. And when he says the kingdom is, uh, that the time has come, he's talking about this kairos, remember, kairos moment. It's like now, everything has changed because the king has arrived on the planet. What would they say these days? Probably the king is in the house. But I wouldn't say that because you see it's very awkward for me. So the time has come and the kingdom is near. And remember last week I said the kingdom, you know, Jesus' progression in the gospels is the kingdom is near. The kingdom is here, the kingdom is upon you, and the kingdom is within you. We live in that within. We live in the the final movement of God's amazing symphony, the kingdom of God going forward right through our very beings. That's what we live in. I said last week, uh, the response to that is to repent, not just of sin, but certainly of sin and ways we've gone away from God, but of a way of thinking that puts us at the center rather than Jesus the king and his kingdom at the center. So to repent and to believe the good news. Remember, belief means live as if it's true. Walk out the action of the reality of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the lens through which we look at life, and we look at the world, and we look at our walk with God. It's a lens. The kingdom of God is a lens. It's the frame for everything that we understand about Jesus and and our life. I want to make sure that you understand that the kingdom of God is just a lens. It's a powerful lens. It's, an, it's a crucial lens, but it is just a lens. When I was... Hi, Beth. How are you doing? Great. Good. Um, when I was uh, in seminary about a thousand years ago, I was a window washer in downtown Chicago. Before you think two great things of me, it wasn't one of those, okay? Not skyscrapers deal. I was... a uh, sort of a cushy uh, uh, window washer in the mall. Um, But I went down to uh, the Merchandise Mart in downtown Chicago every Monday morning 
and washed windows in the, in the two-floor mall there. And so, you know, it was good money, and I liked the mornings, so 5 a.m., there I am washing windows. And, uh, you know, I'd go in pr- pretty grubby, you know, 5 in the morning. I didn't have to get dressed up for my window washer job, you know what I mean? And so I'd walk in, and when people would start filling into the malls, I had to do the outsides first, and when the stores opened, I did the insides. And so often I would find myself in this bizarre situation where people are walking by and looking in the windows, and I'm there, you know? Like sometimes I'd be walking by, and I think they must have assumed I was a mannequin, and then I would move, and I'd see them freak out, you know? (laughs) Which got to be kind of fun after a while, you know? Sometimes I'd find myself in the situation where I'm, you know, I'm washing windows and someone would come and look through the window and stare. Like just stare. You know, and your first thought is, you're darn right. And your second thought is, this is weird. And your third thought is the realization they're not looking at you. They're looking at themselves. They're looking at the glass and they're doing this, you know. And I realize they're not doing that for me because they look really funny to me. They're, they're seeing the glass, but they're not looking through the glass to the merchandise. They're not looking through the glass to the goal. They're not looking through the glass to the, to the whole reason they're there shopping. They're actually just looking at the reflection, and it's all about them. I mean, they're looking at themselves. And, and it, I had some embarrassing moments for other people, you know, during that time. I want to make sure that we understand that the kingdom is a lens. The rule and reign of Jesus, that whole framework, it's a lens. We look through the lens of the kingdom to see the king. I am not in any way trying to refer to myself as him, okay? It's just an analogy. We look through the lens of the kingdom to see the king. The goal of the kingdom is to worship the king. Jesus is the king and Jesus is worthy. That is the whole message this morning. If you like nice and neat packages, there's your nice and neat package for today. The goal of the kingdom is to worship the king. Jesus the king. He is the king and he is worthy. The kingdom of God is everywhere that Jesus rules and reigns, but there's a goal of the kingdom. There's an end zone, right? There's, there's a direction that we're headed There's something that we're after in the midst of the kingdom. And so I want to look at three scriptures in the next couple of minutes that point out this clear goal of the kingdom being worship of the king. It is all about Jesus in the end. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Revelation chapter 11. That's easy. Just go to the end and then turn back a little bit. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. If you don't have a Bible or electronic device, it'll fly up on your screen. Revelation 11:15. This is John, the disciple, and he's having a revelation. We sometimes think it's just a revelation of the end times. It's really a revelation of all time. I mean, John's seeing the whole kit and caboodle all at once. But he's seeing clearly in Revelation 11:15 the goal of the kingdom, like the end result, the final culmination. And it says this, the seventh angel sounded his trumpet, And there were loud voices in heaven which said, loud voices in heaven. These are angels and creatures and, you know, all that have gone before and who knows who up there in heaven. And this is what they're saying, loud voices. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, his Christ, his anointed one, his chosen one. And he will reign forever and ever. 
That's the goal of the kingdom. I mean, the kingdom is where, everywhere where Jesus reigns and rules, but the reason we allow Jesus to reign and rule in our lives is so that he gets worshipped. The goal of the kingdom is to worship King Jesus. He's the king, and he's worthy of it. The kingdom of this world, I mean, everything that you see, John's looking to the very end, he's saying, I just want to know, you know how it ends. The kingdom of this world, the whole thing, it's become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ. It all belongs to Jesus. End of story. That's what it's all about. Everything that we see becomes subject to Jesus. And so remember that the kingdom of God was like the golden thread of Jesus' uh, message all the way through the Gospels. But the kingdom of God was pointing to the worship of the king. So John sees the end of it. It's all been subject to Jesus. But I just want you to make sure that you don't lose the in-between, because that's where we live. John knew that the kingdom had already come. John was not sitting on the island of Patmos just thinking, it'll be cool then, because John, uh, Revelation 1, 9, this is what John says. I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering. Oh, good, Randy. That's real encouraging. And in God's kingdom. Revelation 1.9. I'm your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom. Even in his suffering, John's like, but I know there's a kingdom. I know that we win. And in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. The, patience endure, the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. John knows that it's all headed, our endurance, our patience, our waiting, our fighting in the kingdom right now, it all goes to this. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of the Lord and of his Messiah, his Christ, his chosen one. All God has made will be subject to Jesus. He owns everything in completion. The verse says, and he will reign forever and ever. I don't know the etymology of that, but I mean, it's just like, you know, the writer's saying he will reign forever. Is it, wouldn't that be good enough? Forever is a pretty long. I mean, is there any time longer than forever that we could understand the reign of Jesus to be implied? And for some reason, John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, can't leave it there. Like, just so you get the point, he will reign forever and ever and ever. And on and on and on. This reign of Jesus is eternal. And, and though that's here and it's forever, we stand in the midst of it. Like it's right now. Jesus is reigning in hearts and minds right now. In these lives, and it will last forever and ever. He's worshipped, he's glorified. All honor, glory, worship to Jesus the King. Because the goal of the kingdom is to worship King Jesus. He is the King and he's worthy. Philippians 2, 9 to 11, probably familiar to many of you. You can flip to it if you want, or click on it, or look up at the screen. Philippians 2. Therefore God elevated him. This is sort of an an ancient hymn to Jesus. Therefore God elevated him, Jesus, to to the place of highest honor. And gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess 
that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. At the mere mention of Jesus' name, like, we'll, he'll be there, we know that, okay? But that is not what the writer says. The writer says, at the mention of his name, every knee will bow. So just, you know, do a little test here. Are there any knees that won't bow? No, there aren't any knees that won't bow. And every tongue confess. Is there a single tongue created by God that won't confess? No. That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every, I mean, this is the culmination of the kingdom. This is what we're living for. This is what makes our battles and our difficulties and what Paul calls these light momentary afflictions, 2 Corinthians 4, I don't really like that one, worth an eternal weight of glory. Because it's all for Jesus the King. Every knee, every tongue, confess that it's all about Him. Willing subjection. Jesus acknowledged by every creature, known and clear to all, because the goal of the kingdom is to worship King Jesus. So you, you look in the beginning of Philippians 2 there, and it says you should have your, at, your mind like this, the same attitude, like Jesus. And it goes through the humility of Jesus, and then at the end we get to this. The humility of Jesus, becoming taking the form of a servant, and not even grasping, you know, considering equality with God as something to be used, even though he had it. And through his humility, he gets raised to the highest of all places. Because that's the goal of the kingdom. Jesus gets worshipped. Colossians chapter 3. I'm just hitting the biggies. This is like, these are like the big Jesus chapters. Paul really liked to write about Jesus. Colossians 1, 15 to 20. Colossians chapter 1, 15. Bless you. Christ is the visible image. This is a mind-blowing passage, okay? So relax, open your mind, and prepare to be... Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. So it starts off with a paradox and a mystery right off the bat. Christ is the visible image, Jesus walking on the earth, of the invisible God. Hebrews 1 says he was the exact representation of the Father's image. No comment. I don't know. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything. Everything was created through him, and for him. He existed before anything else. And he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is the body. It's us. He's the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. Man, you could probably just take a year. Just look at the superlatives, just for fun, the superlatives. He's the image of the invisible God. He existed before anything. So, 
Did anything exist before him? Not possible. Before anything. He's supreme. I mean, unless you're talking about the size of an ice cream cone, there's nothing larger than supreme, right? I mean, it's supreme is it. It's over all. He created everything. It was all created for him. It was all created through him. So he's the source and the object. He existed before anything else. Everything in creation holds together in Jesus. So, I mean, if my son was speaking, he would give you probably the physics uh, version of this. He let you know, what is it, the fine-tuned universe or something like that. I mean, if one little tiny element of the universe was a little bit different than the way God created it and the way Jesus holds it together, blammo, we don't exist. I mean, everything holds together in Jesus. The next time you're just so frustrated with the world and, you know, and what doesn't work and how things are going in your life and etc., boy, maybe you just look down at the floor and look up at the ceiling and look outside and realize that every piece, every element, every human, every throne, every idea, every concept is held together by Jesus. And we wonder, could he see me? <laughs> we wonder, is he here? We wonder, can he handle this one? I think he can. <clears throat> the very end of that passage, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ and through him God reconciled everything to himself. Reconciled is a theological term, okay? But I'm not going to go into the theological meaning. I want you to think accounting right now, okay? Who loves accounting? Three of us, yeah. And actually, I'm not included. I was just trying to get someone to say something. <clears throat> All I remember from my accounting in, uh, in senior high school, way back, was that, you know, on the bottom of those two columns, those two numbers, they have to be the same. Like, those two numbers have to be the same. If those two numbers aren't the same, you fail. Like, I don't care you got more or you got less. I just know you fail a test if those two numbers aren't the same. They've got to be the same, right? Reconciling your bank account. What you think you have and what they think you have, it's got to be the same, right? Or you owe them money. It's never the other way around, right? Reconciled. It's the same. So what did, what did God do in his pleasure in the fullness of Jesus? Through him, he reconciled everything to himself. Here's everything, and here's Jesus. It's not equal, but he's got it all. He consumes it all. We can say there is nothing out there that could possibly be outside of the realm of Jesus' completeness. I mean, that's just the where we're headed to the world, in the world, is the mind-blowing, eternal sovereignty and completeness of Jesus the Son. And that's why we worship on Sunday mornings and Monday mornings and Wednesday mornings and some of us Tuesday at 3 in the morning. Because he's worthy of it all. It's all is subject to Jesus in the end. The goal of the kingdom is to worship King Jesus. He is the king, he's here, and he's worthy. 
So the focus of Jesus was the kingdom of God being extended, his rule and his reign. But the goal of the kingdom is to worship King Jesus. Jesus came and he focused on extending his rule and reign. The way that happens and the goal of all of the inhabitants of that kingdom is not to look just horizontally, but to continually look through that glass of the kingdom to the king himself. Everything we do is for Jesus. Through all of life, the lens of the kingdom is the reflection of God in his creation and his people, but we look through it to see Jesus. And I just want to urge us in 2014 not to be distracted from the goal of the kingdom. The goal of the kingdom is to worship the king, Jesus. I mean, we'll do a lot of stuff. We'll tell people about the king. We'll worship the king. We'll give our finances for the king's work. We will care for people. We'll do a lot of stuff. We'll love children in the name of the king. But all of it has as its goal that Jesus is supreme, that Jesus is raised up, that the name of Jesus is the name above all names in our lives and through the world. So why do we worship? Because, God, because the goal of the kingdom is to worship King Jesus. Why do we give our finances? Sacrificially. Because the goal of the kingdom is to worship King Jesus. He's king and he's worthy. Why do we love people? Because they're formed by Jesus in his image. And for his glory. And the goal of the kingdom is to worship King Jesus. He is the king and he's worthy. Why are we faithful in our jobs? Why are we faithful in our relationships? Why do we keep our word even when it hurts? Because everything we do is for Jesus the king. The goal of the kingdom is to worship Jesus the king. When you're faithful to, to your word, Jesus gets worshipped. When you're faithful to your promise, Jesus gets worshipped. When you give when you feel like you don't have it, Jesus gets worshipped. When you care for the poor, Jesus gets worshipped. Why do we remain pure in a, in a disgustingly you know, dirtied world? Because when we focus our eyes on the king and the purity of the king and not on the impurity of the world, Jesus the king gets worshipped in our lives. And as Lori said in the announcements, though she started to preach. I mean, did you see her, you know, you'll get your chance. Like Lori said, the more we look at him, the more we know who we are. We focus on Jesus, we become more fully human. And that is a paradox that the world without Jesus can't understand. And we in the kingdom run after That's why we persevere in the kingdom. And so, finally, it means this. About all those things that I just talked about, I mean, about all the things that are going on in the kingdom, it means that we, we don't get to go through the world carelessly. We can go through the world joyfully. Okay, there's a difference, though. But not carelessly. My, um, one of my sons saw a movie uh, last week. It was about sort of this sex trafficking, sex trade, and it, um, what, this is the reality of what happens in the world, and it, and it freaked him out. And I was on the phone with him, and, you know, and I was kind of like in I got work to do mode. And he's like, can we just talk? Like, could you just listen? 
you know, when your son says that, you say, yeah, I'm here, you know. He said, I just felt like after watching that, no response was not an adequate response. Like, if that's real, I mean, not like I have to go do it, but I can't just say, oh, interesting movie, when people are being sold as, as stuff. So it means when you hear about things that are going on in the world, in the realm of God's kingdom, where the rule and reign of Jesus is being pushed forward, and it's difficult and there's battle, you, go, you don't get to see, say, I don't care, it's not my thing. Because it's not about your thing, it's about your king. That's what it's about. That's, that's the whole deal. So it doesn't mean we have to invest ourselves in every single thing that comes along. That's not the point. But if, if Delena is interested in something and she's in the kingdom, you know what? I'm going to honor that. If Robin is interested in something and she's in the kingdom, man, I'm going to honor that. It may not be my thing, but it's about our king. If Randall's invested in something in the kingdom, I don't have to necessarily do it, but man, I'm going to honor it because it's not about me. It's about Jesus. The goal of the kingdom is not in the end about our personal fulfillment, happiness, or comfort. Though, in Jesus' great mystery, he provides for so much of that along the way. But now we've got those light, momentary afflictions. And it's creating for us a weight of eternal glory. Because that's what the kingdom is about. The goal of the kingdom is to worship the king, Jesus, in every aspect of our lives. Not under compulsion, but motivated by his love and his grace shown us. Let's uh, stand. Let's take uh, 30 or 40 seconds and just be silent. Close your eyes and just, just respond to God. Just be silent. I would just invite you um, as, as our response in, uh, to the word this morning, to the word of God, not my words, but to the word of God as it came to you, to, um, boy, how often do you just get a time of silence to let the Holy Spirit come and survey your life? And we're not looking here for ways where the enemy would bring in condemnation, but we're opening ourselves to the conviction, that's grace, of the Holy Spirit. So would you take a few moments and ask, Holy Spirit, is my life about worshiping King Jesus? Do I recognize in my work and in my schooling, in my friendships, even in my ministry, in my free time, which is given by God, Am I worshiping King Jesus? Am I recognizing the goal of the kingdom? And if you see places where your life is out of alignment with the kingdom, the focus and the goal of the kingdom, 
then the most natural thing in the world under the conviction of the Holy Spirit is to repent, is to turn. Say, Jesus, I don't want to be king of my life anymore. I don't want to give you sovereignty in nine out of ten areas. I don't want to give you rule and reign in my life just Sunday mornings or just Wednesday nights at home group or just when I'm doing my ministry, but over every time of every day. Holy Spirit, uh, thank you for your presence here. Come and work among your people. Come and bring your glorious conviction. Come and bring grace. Come and break bondages. Come and set your children free to worship you in spirit and in truth. Holy Spirit, come release faith. Release a spirit of worship and joy and reverence and obedience among us. In Jesus' name, amen. I asked uh, Clay this morning if we could actually end in worship. And so I would ask the ministry team to come forward. So if you're on the ministry team, trained to pray, come on forward. If you'd like someone to pray for you this morning about anything, and you want to just give your life to Jesus the first time, or again, I welcome you to to do that. But we're going to end our time in worship. And so uh, when we're done uh, worshiping, done with this song, you're free to go. You're free to come for ministry. You're you're free to, to be in God's presence.